0: The opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Jeremy Hinks and
1: Sticky Jazz Podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else on this planet.
0: And good day all Tschüss. Bienvenue off Sticky Jazz. Tschüss with the Jeremy Hinks. And uh, this week, I have the man Dunstan Bruce from Chumpawamba. He was one of the many of the anarchist collective, and uh, he... Is uh, pushing for his. Uh, he's got a one man show going. Uh, he's also to have his film distributed called uh, I Get Knocked Down. It's not really the story of Chumboomba, his story about continuing on uh, through the paradigm of being the anarchist in the collective of Chum-Wumba. Um The previous documentary the Oh, well done, now sawed off. And then this one will be coming out shortly. So, uh, everybody, really, it's been one hell of a shit year. So, uh, just take care and uh, hold on. Let's kick this one off with the uh, the French version of the Tumba Wumba song that you would all know called Tub Something. So, let's all sit back and bring those stupid cat. Oh mm salt lake and it's five thirty in the morning and it's twelve thirty in uh where, where are you actually
2: in brighton in the uk oh, you
0: are in brighton okay well i got in brighton england Dunstan bruce this is the chumbawamba part two uh because we had boff on just a few months ago and now i've got uh dunston who uh I, I think the best line out of his was kenny because you've got a mouthful of shit but uh, oh, I don't know. You you've had some real great lines out there, but that was one of the that was one of the token ones. How are you this morning, sir?
2: I'm fine, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, all good. Yeah. It's uh, we we're about to get hit by a storm over here, apparently.
0: Well, you're on the coast, so you're always gonna get hit by a storm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Utah though. Chumbawamba played in Utah. I bet Boff said that, didn't he?
0: I I know, in an old, uh, renovated Mormon church that had been turned into a club, and uh, yeah a bunch of Nazi skinheads showed up, and someone got stabbed.
2: Yeah, yeah, all that, yeah, 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 it was scary.
0: The guy got taken, he got taken down five years, I don't know if he actually did it, but he,
2: he was. Oh, really? Oh, whoa.
0: Yeah, because yeah, he stabbed a girl, like... Not that not that, that should have mattered as to what the gender of, of who he stabbed was, but he...
2: That's weird. On that too, yeah. who we got shot at in Las Vegas as well. Did you?
0: He never told me that.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, me, it was me and Buff actually sat outside the venue. Uh, we played this old uh, renovate. It was like a, a an antique warehouse or something. Anyway, there was something going on with the promoter and, and some local, uh, I don't know, ne'er-do-wells Anyway, there were some shots fired outside whilst me and Buffer outside. But nobody got <laughs> That's hurt. closest I've ever come to to a, a, a near death experience. I think,
0: at least on the road. So that that is actually really funny. Um, oh, excuse me. In in a previous form of employment, I worked in a uh, lucrative uh, ver- version of law enforcement um where we would go down to i went to vegas a lot we were were, it's called bounty hunting oh yeah 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 yeah, that's what i used to do when we would we did a lot of pickups in vegas that was kind of uh, (laughs) you know some some idiot thought yeah some idiot thought he could skip out on bail and go stay at his uncle's geriatric trailer park and we wouldn't catch him and you know um well we would we'd catch him and bring him back and so yeah, I I have stories about going to Vegas, heavily armed, guns, bulletproof vest, you know, all of oh that. Oh my God! Yeah, nothing you cats have in England. I mean, I've I've seen England. I've seen how the police operate in England, right? Um, I was at uh, Victoria once, and then some. A uh, Bobby had seen someone, you know, lift, a uh, pickpocket, right? Yeah. And Bobby yells, "You stop!" <laughs> and then the guy doesn't stop. The guy keeps running, and then he just pulls out his his little billy club and <laughs> yeah. just just throws it like it's a dart. Hits the guy in the back of the head. Down he got like everybody got out of the way.
1: <laughs> this guy's running.
0: And then the bobby just hits him from probably thirty feet with his thing. It was wild. I was like, "Wow, well, shit!" You know, there I am, train station, London. But um, yeah, that was uh, that was that was a weird experience, I guess. How I don't know. It's just. Cops are, you know, how cops do things in different parts of the planet, I guess. But uh, how was that Vegas show otherwise? So you got a shout out tonight. How was the rest of the evening?
2: Uh, That was we We played in Vegas about two or three times. uh, uh, Took different ends of the whole uh, fame spectrum. So we played in this weird warehouse that was uh, promoted by, obviously, by some sort of local gangster. And it was uh it was just a it was just a weird atmosphere the whole evening. There was something else going on. This guy who was promoting the gig before we went out to the gig, he wrapped his hands up in bandages uh and uh as though he was getting ready, you know that there was going to be trouble at the gig anyway and then But then the next time we played at Vegas, which was in about ninety seven was at some huge huge venue where we had to pretend it was New Year's Eve um uh in about the middle of december for some special for some tv special and that they was were going to
0: air on new year's eve
2: yeah that, and that was in the height of tv you know tub thumping fame right yeah yeah. yeah yeah so i
0: remember actually just on that note i was dancing so oh i i did um hogue right uh oh, yeah. in paris um 97 into 98 at a at a scottish pub called the old alliance oh yeah and well i wouldn't say well okay we we started at the Champs Elysees. the year changed there at the Champs Elysees, and it was just fireworks and people throwing champagne bottles and just complete mad you know and then we we hoofed it over to that pub the all the lions because i was in my kilt with a whole bunch of other guys were in our kilts just having a good time and and we were dancing to tub something there that night oh, and uh <laughs> at, at that and so that actually is the night where the the most embarrassing the second most embarrassing photo of me was taken ever in my life um the first one was me in upstate new york and i met u2 in 1992 and i had my arm around bono and i'm looking because he's a short guy you know I'm yeah, looking yeah. right over the top of his head and i'm going man he's getting thin <laughs> and that was before he got his plugs and then um that one's out there on the internet the other was we were there all the lions me and like five other guys in our kilts and my date was going well someone said is it true what they say about scots and she's like no you guys don't we're like yeah we do She's like, no, no, it's not real. Like, yeah, it is. It is real. And so she got a picture of all of us like this. Uh. And we, all, and we all turned around and hefted up our kilts. And she got a picture of that, too. And so that was my uh, my New Year's Hogmanay 97-98 experience that Chumbawamba was deeply related too so I'm glad i could
2: help with that <laughs> oh
0: yeah so let's let's talk to the movie because i okay i thought that the ultimate chumba movie was sing song and a scrap i loved it no not no not sing. um well done now saw it off. It off.
2: Yeah. yeah
1: yeah
0: loved it we all i i bust that one out i watch it every couple of years you know just for the good laughs and the stories and the experience but then and I understand that was Chumbawamba when you guys were in it, and now here's this one that you're trying to do. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. Tell us what it's called. Tell us, tell us the direction you're taking it.
2: So I'll just I'll just go back to Wellington sort off for a minute, just to yeah. explain that that film, that film was about you know trying to give people an idea who didn't know who Chumbawamba were, you know, a, a, a sort of potted history of the band. Um, and so when we started making, uh, when I started making this film, uh, I get knocked down, I didn't want to repeat that film. I didn't want to make that film again. Um, and I wanted to make a film that was initially, the initial idea was to make a film about what do you think you can possibly achieve as a political band when you enter the mainstream? And I was interested in those ideas about political music, um, and whether you get uh, subsumed by this machine or whether you can actually achieve anything. And that's the film that I started to make um, about five or six years ago. But then but then the film took on a, a different uh, form, in a way, because I wanted the film to not just be for Chumbawamba fans, I wanted it to be a film that um, everybody could relate to in some way, and whether that was around the idea of uh, what you do when you enter middle age and you still want to be politically active, and how can you express your anger and and your frustration at the world when you might feel as though you were becoming increasingly irrelevant or you are becoming invisible in some sort of way, Uh, and. People are not, don't listen to you as you get older. Um, so I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk more about those sort of things. And what the film became was sort of more my story, uh, which obviously included uh, being in Chumbawamba for about twenty-five years. And what that enabled us to do was, I didn't have the responsibility of telling everybody's story about the band or or trying to t- give everybody's experience of being in the band. So it didn't have to be some sort of democratic attempt to represent everybody in the band equally. It gave me the freedom to make a film uh, that I wanted to make and saying how I felt about stuff or what had happened to me in my life and that was that was liberating when I, when we came to that. Uh, when Me and co-director Sophie Robinson came to that decision to to make the film be that and not be a repeat of Weldon Set Off. So yeah, uh, so you, you,
0: this is my experience. Not necessarily the story of Chumbawamba was kind of the uh, the, the, the idea of it then. Was that what that was? Was that okay? This is me. This is my world. My experience. I am telling it from yeah, the number yeah. one point of view. But I'm not saying this is how it was for you know, Boff, and for Dan Barrett and everybody. Although they're here, you're, this is where from my point of view, kind yeah. of thing. Because
2: some people, because some people had a completely different experience, particularly of the uh, of the of the years where you know the tub thumping years where everything went mental. I mean, some people some people didn't enjoy that time, uh, and uh, and some people did, and. So I didn't want to I didn't want to um, I didn't want to do a Watson and all film and I didn't want to do a film that was trying to represent everybody I thought that was important that I didn't do that you know in the same way that other people might do stuff that is their version of events this film is my version of events and it might not necessarily be everybody's version of events and obviously some people aren't represented in the film as much as others um, but that was that just made it uh, uh, an easier film to make, in a way, because it meant that I was just telling my story. So, because there were those
0: clips in the trailer of you showing your frustration, saying, you know, there I was. I was out to change the world. Now I'm this, you know, and and, and, and I, I know you probably at that time, you did feel like you were doing it. And now you're here going, what was the point? Did we accomplish anything yeah you know and where, where am i going to be able to take this now um it's i mean okay it's the midlife crisis thing you know i mean when crosby stills and nash and everybody else are going I, d- did we really accomplish what we set out to do that's always one of those questions and you were putting it out there in a very well at least in the clips i saw it in a very comedic way you know um, obviously still the humor that, that you've kept with Chumbawamba is, is still intact through that, but
2: yeah, that, that was, that was, uh, that was really important that it was that because, um, because it's, it's weird co-directing a film about yourself, obviously, because you can present you because you can present yourself in such a way that um there's a danger, there's a huge danger that you present yourself in such a way that you just are going, look at me, I'm great. How look how great I am, look what I do, aren't I brilliant? And I think it was really important for me to not do that and to have having a co-director really, really helped, obviously. Uh Sophie's Sophie Robinson, who co-directed it, her background was not an arco-punk. Or, or, she all she knew was that song. She came from a, a you know, a completely different uh, documentary background, and so she brought, you know, she brought a lot of, um, you know, subjectivity to the film, which is which was really really helpful. And it sort of it, she eliminated all those sort of in jokes and stuff that wouldn't mean anything to anybody other than the people in the band, and I think that really so that really helped in the making of the film. Uh, to make it, uh, to broaden its appeal massively and to and to have universal themes about, um, yeah, about invisibility and all that sort of stuff. Um, I wouldn't want to represent anybody else in the, you know, I wouldn't want to speak for anybody else in the band anywhere and that would have been a dangerous route to go down. And it was, like, when I, when I screened the film, to everybody in the band to, just to check that it was, you know, that they were okay with it, there was like, there was sort of like a palpable sense of relief, really, when they watched it, that it was me telling my story and I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't trying to speak for them. And so I think that was, uh, that was, that was like, I mean, that was the most, that was the hardest thing was showing the rest of the band the film because uh, um, it was, their, you know, they are my peers and I wanted, you know, I, I did want their approval, you know, for the film. Because I think when we first uh, started making the film, it had a tagline of the untold story of Chumbawamba. And for me, that untold story was uh, that a lot of people didn't know, didn't even know that the song was huge in the States, you know, in, other part, in Britain in particular and stuff like that. That was news to them. And I think what was also news to a lot of people is that we'd existed for fifteen years before we had that hit, so it was it was it was the simple stuff like that that was the untold to me was the untold story, but I think I think there was a there was um there was a fear that the untold story might have been me trying to create drama out of uh you know various uh you know interactions between different people in the band, which wasn't me which wasn't my intention in the slightest. So I think, um, and because I wasn't putting words into other people's mouths and misrepresenting them in the film, um, I think that was a relief for everybody as well, that I wasn't trying to say, this is what happened, um, and we all thought this was what happened. I was saying, this is my version of events, and this is my experience. Because um, a, the fi- the, a lot of the film is about, is me, um, you know, trying to work out what we did and what was successful about it, and what you could take from that moving forward. You know, into you know into middle age, and you know, still wanting to be a, um, you know a, relevant, and still wanting to play an active part in uh, you know in any sort of uh, political movement. That's what I wanted to talk about. Well, so you
0: had mentioned that there you were, you were this young rebel and now you're washed up and you're tired. I mean, that was kind of some of the imagery, you know, some of the the takes that were made there. And I I did think it was funny because like um, I compared it to like I had seen, I don't know if you've seen the, the, I I love movies like this, the New York doll. uh, Oh yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And the story of Anvil, right? where where it it it, sh- it, sh- it shows these guys that were once massive up there great and then there's lips he's unloading yep. bananas off a truck cuz he's he works at the cafeteria in elementary school and then there's there's um Arthur Killer Kane going yep. I went from being a rock star to a shrimp on the bus now I'm going to the Mormon uh Church History Center right you know, so there was that dichotomy there and then it so goes to those bit- two
2: films it's weird. Those two films were complete reference points. They were, Oh, they were? Yes, both okay. of them. Yes. That's so weird. That was exactly the sort of thing I was watching for inspiration for for this film. And taking ideas from those films uh, and, and, and being inspired by those films, definitely. Those and, and uh, there's a Nick K film called... But what about Spinal Tap? Well, that's always an influence, isn't it? (laughs) That's always an influence. (laughs) That's that's Uh, impossible for that not to be an influence. You're talking about uh, Nick Cave's
0: 10,000 Days? Nick Cave's 10,000 Days?
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 No, wait, 50,000, right, yeah, okay, yeah, yes. Whatever it is. But that film, what I found interesting about that film, about the Nick Cave film, is that that is a completely constructed documentary, you know, where he had editorial control and everything is constructed... There's very little actual uh, actuality in that film, and so that was a, that was a, a, an influence as well. But definitely, uh, definitely those two—the uh, New York Doll one and the, uh, and uh, Anvil—definite huge, huge influences on what we were what we were trying to do. And and you know, like uh, and the Wilco Johnson films as well—the the, the Doctor Feelgood ones, where you just have a, where you have a central character. Who is telling the story of the uh, you know of the band sort of, but from his perspective? Films like that, documentaries like that, that were that yeah, that showed the that actually showed the other side of fame. You know, the the you the you the what's lovable, what's so lovable about the Anvil film is that that is the the it's a love story between those two guys who are so passionate about what they do, and that's. And I just loved that about that film. I absolutely loved that. Well, well, and they're
0: missing trains, and then they're saying we're gonna have posters, and it's like somebody just wrote Anvil down here tonight. You know, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, You see now, my
0: well, it was one of now. This the thing is because I I don't know if you know who Michael Alago is. Um, he's the guy. He there's a documentary film about him called "Who the Fuck Is That Guy," and there's a. There's a book called I Am Michael Alago," which is the book version of the documentary film. Who the fuck is that guy? And um, it's you, you've got to get into that. that was so it, it's funny because Alago's the guy who signed Metallica. Oh, right. OK. And he is like the like, if you want to know the guy who was under the scenes for all of it, it's Michael Ilago, Right. And it's, it's an amazing story. Right. He's an amazing guy and all that. I was like, uh, and I, the, the funny point, we, we got contentious over this so much that I don't like Metallica and he thinks that they're the great, you know, cause they were his band. He signed them and I, I just said, yeah, yeah. look, you know, I, I couldn't get into Metallica, but I love Testament and, and all that. Right. You know? Um, but what was funny was I said, do you think that Anvil would have been a lost cause? And he said, absolutely not. Anvil was, and you know, he said that actually the movie was fantastic. It relaunched their career. It did a lot of great things for them, you know. Um, and I was watching Anvil from the standpoint of the story of so many bands where Anvil could have been huge. They could have been as big as Metallica. Yeah, I think yeah. they were better. I think that they were better. But that Metallica, well, Anvil had people making the wrong dis- The people making important decisions for them were a little too dumb to manage the business, you know, and that was the story. That was the story of Anvil right there, because when you talk about a great band with a lot of passion, that was it. They did. They Anvil were it. They just didn't have the 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 smarts behind a few very pivotal decisions. And that blew up in their face, you
2: know. And and that that's something that you can't you know like I think we we found that with our uh, with what happened with Tub Thumping actually was that we were on a we were on an independent label, uh One Little Indian, and uh we fell out with them. They didn't like the version of Tub of the album that we'd done of Tub Thumper, and they said we had to go away and remix it or, or, or re record it. Uh and we left the label. And then we didn't have anybody, then we didn't have, then we didn't know what we were going to do. And then, and then just by chance, we had some old friends who used to manage uh, Hawkwind and girls school, bands like that, old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lemmy was originally in them and he was, and they had, I think they had managed Motorhead for a short time, but then they fell out with Lemmy. Anyway, they got involved with helping us find a record deal with the album. And it was just, it was just luck. You know, it felt like luck that they came along at, at a time and they wanted to be involved and they, they got the records to the right people. And it, 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 it went crazy. It blew up. It totally blew up. And it was just, you know, that we could have stayed with one little engine, put that record out and nothing could have happened to it. It could have been a minor hit and we would have just carried on, uh, being, you know, being underground band or whatever, but uh, but just these series of events meant that, you know, that that's, that song was a hit. And,
0: and you guys got huge with that. I mean, well, okay, so the Tub Thumping record is really, really good. And I love the Pete Postle tweet work on there, um, you know, just the the, the samples in that. And, and I love the fact, when I talked to Boff about this years ago, I said, Nobody was going to let us sample anything, so we just did it ourselves. Yeah, hey, that sounds like good. Well, I just, you know, mix that piece in there and whatnot. And he said, but Pete was the only guy who was like, yeah, you can have my voice. It's, you know, great.
2: Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was lovely going to do that, yeah. That's funny because it's just on the album version. It's not on the single. And I really like that. bit. I think that bit's really a sense. I think, weirdly, that bit's like an essential part of the song as well. It really, it really... It really um, gives the song context that Pete Postles to at the beginning. Well, he, every character he played was
0: amazing, right? Even he, he had little cameos in Last of the Mohicans off of Daniel Day-Lewis. He was in Romeo and Juliet, but in the name of the father,
1: you know, oh, I mean, I, I, I
0: loved his performances in everything. I, yeah, yeah everything and but then he played this Gico figure he played this one irish mafia kingpin in a boston gang movie where he was just this horrible violent and I'm like well he did that one pretty well too and he was dying he knew he had like yeah, yeah. like weeks left when he was shooting that film you know whoa yeah
2: but uh yeah, he, was a good, he was a good man he was a very good man yeah so
0: i i remember talking to um i i when when you guys did like she's got all the friends, right? Which again oh, yeah. classic number. Um my fave point of that was is like, was that about Paris Hilton?
1: Pretty <laughs> much.
0: Bob was Bob yeah, was like, not her particularly, but she's got a counterpart over here in the UA, just a miserable git who's
2: never done anything with her life, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it pretty much was inspired by her and the like. It was at the, the time like. when reality TV was just kicking off, wasn't it? I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because there was that one. And what was the other one um, that you were making fun of reality TV? Um, this is the land of do what you're told. You know, and and I asked Buff, what was that one about? We're going on strike for 12%. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know the part of the story about that? Where, where the line, we're going on strike for 12% came from? I remember. <laughs> no, <I'm> no idea. <laughs> he said there was something about a reality show that was going on and everybody went on strike for 12% of the show's revenue and that they were, you know, he said, it was basically that we're filming. it all for a reality show. And so 12, but you know, and that's where, um, let's see. Let me backtrack. When I interviewed, uh, Justin Sullivan from new model army, um, God, ages ago. And, I talked to me, he look here, I'm an anarchist. And he brought up Billy Bragg and then Chumbawamba. And I said, oh, yeah, actually, I, I interviewed Boff a long time ago, a while back. And he goes, oh, yeah, Boff, yeah, know him really well. And he talked about how um, he said what he loved about Chumbawamba was that, yes, they're anarchists. Yes, they're, it's, it's just there. It's in your face. It's the social commentary that nobody else really has the wit to deliver. You know and that was how he described you guys he says there you guys have a wit to lay it out better than billy bragg even and i i was like well you know i was a young anarchist kid and uh come across you guys and was like yeah but i was also mormon too so when i found out the buff was mormon that was oh uh, well, that was how i connected we started emailing like way back was 20 plus years ago and oh, so yeah. So, but yeah, when Justin was talking about that, just the ability that you guys have to deliver in such a way that it, it is palatable for, you know, the higher level, the pop stream radio and that for the most part to do. Um, that's, a,
2: that's a really lovely thing of uh, Justin to say, actually. And it's very, it's it, it's very, in, it's very incisive in a way. And I, I think he, he gets us. I think he, he, he gets us exactly you know that that was uh, um, the, the the part of what we were always trying to do was in some way try and subvert the mainstream I suppose it was always like a uh, um, there's there's a bit in the film where I say you know like uh, the converted can can take care of themselves. We want to talk to the rest of the world, don't we and and, and I think that was always something that a, a philosophy that Chumbawamba always tried to uh, live by. Was that um, we wanted to reach? You know, we wanted to talk to people who, uh, you know, who maybe did just listen to, you know, Radio One in the UK or Radio Two in the UK. And and it, and it wasn't that we were just trying to talk to our own tribe all the time. We weren't. We were trying to. We were trying to look outward. We were always trying to look outward, and we're always trying to not get stuck in any sort of ghetto. And I think that was always really important. And I think I think it was also, yeah. I mean, I think. It's weird because a lot of people used to think Chumbawamba in the early days in particular were like sort of miserable, uh, you know, um, uh, depressing sort of bands. But we always try to use humor, you know, all through our, you know, our whole, I think you go through all our back catalog, you know, you just find, you know, examples. Oh, I
0: have. I've I've gone through it all.
2: I've
0: got... uh... Let's see, probably seven gigs of MP3s of Tumba Wamba, just different albums, singles. Uh I've, you know, because we um, were always trying to have fun with it. You know, we were always trying to have fun with what we
2: were doing. You know, and when you well, start-
0: one, one of the things that, that that attracted me to you guys was now I again, uh, I don't know what you know about Mormonism, but we back when I was and you know I was very steeped in Mormonism. And considered myself an anarchist, but we believed in this thing called the law of consecration, which was where everybody has all things in common, right? And so when everybody can pull everything together and then they're pushing for the common good, and then it's distributed to help that everybody's needs are met, right? And... When I was reading about really early, you know, like I got a tape of you guys in the like early 90s and like 91 or, you know, listening to it. And this, yeah, these guys and they're anarchists and they're doing this. And I was like, that sounds like Love consecration when you guys are all squatting and you're on the dull, and you are all just like, hey, everybody's stuff comes together because more can work with everybody when, when we put all this in there. And I thought that was really neat. And that was kind of a lot more what drove me to it. But I didn't see you guys being miserable. I was like, these guys are like living this ideal and it's working for them. And so that was how I viewed it. Um, But uh, just on the note, yeah, um, Boff said that, uh, okay, Justin Sullivan loves you guys. Boff said, oh, yeah, we'd be there in the studio and all that. Justin come knocking on the door all the time. Hey, is Neil in? Is Neil in? <laughs> says, Neil could always do something on Justin's computer. So he said that yeah, was yeah. always funny. Neil
2: was yeah, but, Neil was like a bit of a tech genius with stuff. Yeah, so Justin was always coming in. I mean, I mean, people like um, people like Justin and Billy Bragg. I think we we sort of like we we almost existed alongside. You know, we were all doing our own thing. Um, we were all we were all sort of. I always felt we were always heading in the same direction, you know, in what we were doing. And we, we supported new model army a few times in uh, Germany in particular, where they were massive. And it always, it it, it was always good to do those sort of things because, um, because we were both very, I mean, as bands, we were both very uh, certain about who we were and what we were trying to do. But I thought it was always great that those moments where, a gig is not just about the music a gig becomes something it's about a community coming together and people finding each other and and the strength and uh, you get from being a, a gig like that and you know and the and the um um, the way it sort of uh, uh, revitalizes you or, you know, like gives you like uh, the energy to then go away and think that was, you know, that's really, that's really fired me up again. And I love that sort of thing that, that those sort of gigs created a huge community of people coming together um, who had this common interest and this common goal, because it wasn't just about the music. It was about creating a space where, you know, you would feel as though you're with like-minded people. And I think that's really good. I think that's a really important part of, you know, going to a gig. Well,
0: so, uh, well, I'm I'm the anarchist still. And uh, Justin said he didn't quite know if he considered himself one. He said he, he embraces a lot of the ideals, you know. But it, he also likes the idea that New Model Army are the constant identity crisis, right? They aren't a punk band, they aren't a folk band, they aren't a rock band. They're they're New Model
2: Army that does what they are that you, week. You he know what? I just it, you know? I I just saw the other day that they were headlining a goth festival. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Is, so they're, it, they're, it, they're all things to all people. It's brilliant. That, that, and that that was what he told me. So when I interviewed
0: Jesse, he said. um, Look, man! Last summer, all right, we we played a goth festival, uh, a, oh, sorry, a goth punk festival, um, a folk festival, a metal festival, <laughs> and a Christian and a Christian rock festival. <laughs> and we played the same set every night, you know, because <laughs> we can do that. We're, we're New Model We can do that. And it's like, "Yeah, that's totally true," you know, um, and what i i just i love about it is that uh he honestly doesn't care you know justin just does not care and, and I, I brought up i said, so what was your song Marrakesh about because to me i interpreted it as being the flip side to that movie casablanca and he said that's actually my favorite movie of all time but uh i could see that you think that but no it was just an old-fashioned love song but wow that's a neat way to, to view that song. Is that you know from Casablanca, you know, but that was that was the vibe that I got from listening to it. You know, that's my favorite New Model Army song. Um, and but uh, so do you still? I know that you could go and probably. I, I remember when you guys were like we're, we were told we'll never play German television, and you did, and yeah. it was yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, God, you guys. You guys did so much that were that was just unlikely and unexpected of you. Um, do you guys all still hold to the same ideals as you did, or has too much has enough changed or whatever? Like, because for me, I was the anarchist on the conservative side for quite some time, but now I would say I'm the anarchist with do whatever the fuck it takes to keep Trunk and those fucking orangutans out of power that's all my political views are these days. Um, but, uh, wh- what are you guys on? I mean, what's, what's the, t- t- are, how does that still fit? What's the paradigm you guys are well, still sitting? I here, mean, I can't you? speak
2: for anyone else. I can only speak for myself because, you know, right. we're not want anymore. You know, like we're, we're still really good friends and people have gone off to do, you know, different, different things. Um, from my perspective, um, i th- i I think, and this is part of i suppose what the film is also about is that um i've found what I found incredibly inspiring of late is that there is a younger generation of people a very young generation of people who have took up that you know have took up all those causes and have took up you know the the um the the that sort of rebellion and that and that sort of uh desire to try and change the world that I think that we had back in the seventies and eighties. And, and and I just find that incredibly inspiring to see young people like um uh, you know like Emma Gonzalez or or, or, or Tamika Mallory or, or Greta Thunberg, you know all I was gonna
0: people. say you leave your Swedish princess, I mean Greta Thunberg's amazing
2: man. Yeah, yeah and there's all these like young young activists who were like so so on it and so and so and speaking so powerfully and and acting on stuff i find that incredibly incredibly inspiring and i think if 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 in some you know i want to be part of that and it's and I, and i think that's a brilliant thing that now at my age i'm looking to that younger generation as like as an, as an inspiration because you know there used to be a thing years ago where you say, oh, you know, young people aren't political anymore. What's happened to, you know, when we were in the 70s, you know, we were all punk and it was all this stuff going on and the 80s and hardcore punk was happening. And um, and it just felt as though, it just feels as though now there are those people who are out there who are, who are, you know, who are like incredibly active, incredibly turned on to what's going on in the world. I just find those people... And whether they call themselves anarchists or not, I'm sure they probably don't. I think it's largely irrelevant i just think I just love their passion and their activism and 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 the fact that and and in music as well you know like there's like there's there's so many artists um who who are like uh who 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 speak to to that sort of you know like who who either implicitly or explicitly include you know a political message in their music and I, I i was just like i'm so really excited by by that nowadays because i i got lost for a while and i didn't know where you know where you could find that um and, and whether that existed still and and i just think it's brilliant that there's a lot of um there's a lot of people who are uh who you know who are who are still concerned about the state of the world um and I love that thing about um, even people like uh, even people like Patty Smith, who's in the seventies now, who says stuff. Who 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 I read this interview with her recently, where uh, the 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 person writing the article had said that it's almost as a Patty Smith. It's like she regards herself as an artist first and not an activist, but she's politically adjacent in some way. You know, like she's still she's you know you go and see her. And uh, uh, you know she talks of pol- you know of polit- political action and you know stuff that I sort of totally identify with and I, and I love that that there's an old, that there is also an older generation you who know, is still some, saying something and um, and I still get you know I still get up on stage and I still say stuff, and I, I, I can't imagine a time when I will not do that because I still feel angry about the state of the world. And I still, and I think I've found a way of expressing my anger and my feelings about the world um, as I get older. And, and so that is sort of what, the, what making the film has really helped me do. And that was also what doing in Terribang helped helps me do, which is a band that I had after Chumbawamba. And then now I'm doing like this one man show. Uh, you know, like a a stage a, a, a theatre thing that's also doing that as well, and I've just found ways of like expressing how I feel about the world, and that is, to me, that is, um, from an anarchist standpoint. But I'm not saying I am an anarchist. I'm just saying this is what I think, and this is how I think. You know, uh, I, this is how. I, I I want to move forward and I want to try and still be involved in trying to make the world a better place, I suppose. Okay.
0: Well, well one of the things that I could, again, talk to you guys about for hours, because I mean, there was, you know, at any given time, 22 members of Chumbawamba on stage, <laughs> you would have, but uh, the... The fact that there was no subject you guys wouldn't play with, and not only did you just sing about it, you you got it right into everybody's face. You you know, morality play, look, no strings, Regina, mouthful of shit, give your anarchist a cigarette, Um, still one of the best homophobia. And uh, then the day the Nazi died, right? Um, I mean, we all it, it, you you were taking these songs that nobody was really willing to touch, right the 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 subject matter, homophobia. you you did this such fine uppity fun, upbeat song about about kids getting killed for being gay. and I and I know why you did that. Oh, you know, but then there was, you know, the day the Nazi died that we all will get up there and chant. You know, I'll we'll be clapping and singing to and even uh Clause 29. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- th- you guys were like, let's see where we can take this. Let's make it so somebody will hear the music first. Enjoy it. Oh, shit. What are they coming at us about? I mean, what that was what I loved about Chumbawamba was that you, you were like. We're, we're not afraid to start any fires here.
2: We did this. There's a couple of things. But, uh, we did this thing with the, uh, you know, when we first came to America, uh, 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 when tub thumping became a hit, and we had the song quite early in the set. And because we, were, because we found ourselves doing gigs where people were coming to see us who didn't know who we were, but they'd come for the song, we then moved the song to the end of the set. And that was just because we wanted people to stay and listen to everything else that we were saying before they got. And the reward was the song at the end of the set, in a way. And I think that was like, um, that was. And, and another thing that happened was that, that and, we, and we didn't actually know about this at the time. But Universal released the single as a limited edition single, and that sold out really quickly. So the only way you could get the single after after a few weeks was you had to buy the album. So what it meant was that everybody had to go and buy the album, which had all this other stuff on. About then when we were talking about a lot of other think a lot of other you know a lot of other political stuff, and and that. And that felt like it um, was well, weirdly that was like a, it was like a marketing ploy, obviously that Universal did, but it, it worked for us, propaganda-wise, in a way, you know, because it meant that it meant that people were buying the album and seeing that we weren't just that one song, and that, that there was this whole other, um, you know, there was this whole, this, whole, this all other facets to the band, and we weren't just this one. We weren't like you know, because obviously a lot of people just thought that song was a you know it was like a jock anthem or whatever um and and and, and so it was important for us that uh, people realized that there was a lot more to it than just than just that but and and so like going back to what you were talking about before about the other songs where, um like the homophobia thing so homophobia originally was just a was a an a cappella song um and we actually changed the lyrics uh, and, and vamped it up basically to try and make it a more uh, accessible as a pop song, because we thought that was a way of uh, uh, of getting that message onto the radio, onto television, and into people's, you know, and get get a wider audience for that idea that we were talking about. Um, you know, a, a subject that's, um, I mean, homophobia is not a sexy subject, obviously, you know, but we tried to what we tried to do was make it so that. Um, exactly what you were saying that you know like you're listening to a song and then you and then you realize what the song is you know is actually saying and, and uh, it was just a always part of our idea of trying to subvert stuff you know and and, and get messages across in in a way that we thought was uh, was palatable to people and that's why we always try to use humor as well because we always thought humor we always thought it was much better to try and um Convince people with humor, than sort of beating them over the stick with an idea, Um, and so we were always trying to find different ways of presenting those ideas. Well, like like the line, "She was
0: uh, caught writing away, uh, writing goodbye notes wrapped up in bricks." (laughs) That was one of those lines of this girl. Oh man, like I, I could listen to it and just go, "That is so twisted," you know. I mean, everything in there. And it, it, but it was all just a social commentary. He's looking back. I mean, a lot of it reminded me of like, um, like, uh, Bob Geldof went, you know, some of the, the Boomtown Rat songs of, uh, Diamond Smiles and I Don't Like Mondays, where you have these really grim subjects presented in a way, and you're like, oh, and you listen to it. Wait a minute. That girl killed herself at the end of the song,
1: you yeah, know? Yeah.
0: And, You know, you were just kind of like, you were throwing that out to us. And then, and then you did look no strings, which was just brilliant. You know, the whole, that was the army tabernacle choir. (laughs) Somebody saw a face of Jesus on a piece of toast. I mean, there I mean, how much, how much of it was, um, like just looking for, I mean, David Burns said when he wrote true stories, he said, um, I'm not that creative. I just had to read the newspapers to write that record. Um, how much was involved in just the just the the off the cuff funny shit you guys would come up with?
2: Well, so what, in the early days of Chumbawamba, we used to think that all our songs were really negative. You know that we were just complaining about everything, um, and that it was it just felt as a not that we thought. And we never thought it was our responsibility to find the solution, but we were, we were pointing things out. But then we made an album, uh, Slap, where we made a conscious decision. We sat down and, and said, look, let's make this album be about... Let's make it be positive stories. Let's make it be an album... Where it's where the underdog wins, and so we so that is exactly what we did. We went and researched stories from from the time and from the past where we found examples of where the underdog won, and whether that was in uh, you know uh, in some incidents around Tiananmen Square or something that had happened in uh, in uh, uh, in the in the war in Northern Ireland. Or, or or whether it was a policeman being bitten by a dog, you know, it was like, or, um, or stuff that had happened in Hungary in 1956, it was all these historical examples of stuff where we felt as though the underdog uh, had, uh, and that, that, that they were like positive, positive examples, you know, that, look, we don't always lose, there are times when we do actually achieve something, and, you know, some good comes out of something, of, out of struggle, Um and so that so that album was like a really big turning point for us, where we thought, look, this is a really this is a really fun way to like try and make political points. Is also by having fun with what we were writing about as well. And then at that point, our stage, you know, what we did on stage changed as well. We started really having fun with you know Alice coming on dressed up as a nun.
0: Uh, yeah, I was going to say Alice coming up as a nun.
2: <laughs> I mean, that was just. I mean, that was. I mean. I can't remember which one of us thought of it, but that was a, such a brilliant turning point for us as a band, you know, just having her and she embraced it completely and, you know, and performed as the nun for years. And I, I used to, I, it was the response she got was just incredible. You know, it was brilliant. Well, oh yeah.
0: I, you see, I can watch those videos and just go, it's crazy how much fun these guys are having, you know? Um, and well, uh, Boff said, "Well, you guys are big Chum, uh, big uh, Zappa fans, or at least he yeah. was a big Zappa fan." I was, oh, okay, I, I could see a lot of Zappa having played into that. But yeah, her up there in the in the uh, in the nun costume was that was knockout funny.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that was that was the real. And we used to have these. There was a time when uh, going back to uh, we used to have these. Like, there was a, a, an order of uh, gay nuns. Called uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, they used to all come on stage with us, you know, for for uh, the, this big finale. And it used to be, it was just like there was such a sense of community on stage, and it was it just felt so subversive. It was, it just used to be, and it so celebratory as well. We, that's what was. I think that was was one thing that I used to really love about Chumbawamba shows is they felt like celebrations. Uh, as well as being you know like you're at a gig but it felt like a complete celebration and i love that i love that aspect of uh of our live performance well
0: the, uh so here uh, i'm gonna throw this one at you okay so there was uh when i was in boston uh the boston hardcore punk scene has no shame and nor should they they should not they shouldn't have any shame you know um there was a, uh, a, a Zappa tribute show come through town, but some friends of mine from MIT got up to do a show, and they called themselves... So the drummer was from Vietnam, okay? And it was a three-piece punk act, and they called themselves the Vietnuns. All right? <laughs> and I think... Because I know that one of them was actually a big Jumbo Wimba fan. I'm pretty sure he would just seen the videos and thought, that's our shtick right there, was to to be playing that, um, that, uh, you know, doing that in the nuns outfit, but there was one weird goth punk fetish club that we all used to go to (laughs) for the music and the Viet nuns were up there with a couple other. And I think they were called the barbiturates or something. I don't remember what they, I think that's what these girls were called. And you're going now where the hell is this going right but they did your they did a cover of mary mary did they, and they did it really well yeah wow and i so it had the viet nuns and the, these other chicks that were these fetish girls in the leather nuns bit. and oh it was that was quite the night and i do remember that one really well wow. and i wish that i had gone and bootleg filmed that show because that was <laughs> i mean it was rude and tasteless um you know they they were up there. I mean, it was it was a great number, and uh, oh, I yeah. think that for for someone to get up there and then to do a, like to do a a cover like that, all decked out in nuns, I mean, it was priceless. It was so yeah, very bad. fantastic.
2: I would love to see that.
0: Yeah. So I mean, because all right, Tub Thumping was your biggest hit, but um, I to say what's my favorite song by you guys well I don't know there's so many of the albums it was just such a great catalog everything in there was such a great catalog and the lines were I mean even even my kids and this is what's crazy you know my daughters will be driving in the car and then you'll hear if you want to hear the private I know where he is you know and my daughters, I have to explain. Yes, there were, they did folk. They did all this other, you know, my daughters are just barely getting into the music that I listen to. You know, I mean, they're listening to the Beatles and queen and Elton John and and all that, which is great. (laughs) And I'm trying to, you know, I'm getting them in modern English and and, and other stuff, but um, even when, uh, when they were little and didn't know music, I was still playing them. Like, you know, my daughter was three and I had the C D they were listening to Tub Thumping and Um Scapegoat and She's Got All The Friends. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. just great stuff. And I I pushed that on them. I wanted them to just and they love Iggy pop and you know, they listen to their moans, cause I was a good dad who played them all that stuff when they were little kids. And it was important to me to get them to, to grow up on that stuff, you know, cause they did have their one direction phase. Like everybody's kids. Yeah, will yeah. have. Oh know? yeah. Um, but tell me about your one man show. Tell me about that for a second here.
2: That's like a sort of, um, it's like a companion piece to the film. Basically. We'd sort of, we we'd, I'd, I'd sort of start doing this, uh, performance thing when I, i I'd, I was doing it at a venue. I was supporting various bands doing this sort of um, twenty-minute uh, performance that uh, was using music, uh, and I was talking over the top of it. And uh, when we finished the film, uh, me and uh, Sophie, the co-director, was like, "Right, well, what should we do now?" And I was like, "Well, I've been doing this. I've been doing this sort of thing at uh, uh, you know a few times at gigs that I, I thought I might develop into a proper theatre piece." and so and so so her background was theater anyway so i turned it into i wrote it uh i expanded it into a, a 50 minute piece and it crosses over with the film it has bits uh, similar ideas uh than than what the film is saying and we use we use a projection behind me that uh, that uses footage uh, various archive footage and there's interactions between me and that, and but it's a similar sort of message about you know it's called am I invisible yet, and so it's this idea that I've got to this age, and um, am I am I you know I'm asking the question am I invisible yet, and what can we do to stay visible and you know be a part of uh, uh, you know this continuum of descent that I think it's in, it's important that we uh, maintain. And so it's really me, um, uh, uh, there's bits of talking, there's bits of prose, there's poetry, there's, there's songs um, where I use, um, I use backing music from interbang songs to help tell the story of, you know, of me feeling as though I'm stuck, you know, like say 10 years ago I really felt as though I was stuck and then I had to do something about it to get out of this rut and so I, you know, I make a decision that I'm going to start changing what I do, and you know, maybe facing up to doing the things I'm most afraid of, and trying to trying to get back into the fray in a way, and you know, get involved again. And it's just me telling that story, but it's sort of like it's a comedic a, a journey, I suppose, in a way, because um, as in the as in the film where you know it's quite. Um, uh, self-deprecating, and um, uh, uh, so is the show. That um, whenever I get too big, I think I think anything that I do. Whenever I get too big for me boots, um, I think it's always important that somebody or something brings me back down to earth with a bump, and and I think that's what we've tried to do with the film, and that's what we do in the one-man show as well. But I mean, the ultimate message is that there's hope, you know, and I think there is, you know, and I think we've got to hang on to that sort of idea that. You know, we can't, we can't give up, you know, never give up. I never gave up.
0: Well, you got knocked down and then you got up again. You're never going to keep yeah, me down.
2: Yeah, that is sort of the message of both the film and the one man show in a way that it's really difficult to avoid using that, uh, phrase in, uh, in both those things because, uh,
0: know I, I I the same thing. I was interviewing Chuck Penozzo from Styx uh, a little while ago, and uh, he he I, I he's I, I write for an LGBTQ magazine, and you you remember Styx, right? You know the S T Y X. Yeah, 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 Of course. As, so he's gay, and uh, you know my 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 question is to every queer artist at the end, what would you say to the young gay person? And he says, you know. Uh, there's people out there that love you, be strong. Otherwise you're fooling yourself, so don't believe it. And I was like, ouch. Oh, oh, you waited that long to hold that line, you know, the 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 line from the biggest stick single ever. he said, Hey, I had to, you know, like hold on to make that line, you know. So but it it chumbawamba so you're there in Brighton, uh you're right around the corner from Charlie Heather and John sevenk and those guys anyway. I mean, not right now. I think they're all on the road, aren't they? The levelers. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know I've made a documentary about the levelers? Okay. Now, I, I love the levelers. Okay. I absolutely, I uh, I actually wrote an article about them. And then I interviewed Boff a few months later for the Mormon worker back when the that was a Mormon anarchist newspaper that I used to write for. I was at the uh, the Fourth Fest on in Phoenix, Arizona, Fourth of July, nineteen ninety two, a hundred and nine degrees, right, and there were all these bands, and then there were the Levelers there, right, and I just was like, I see John Seven, who's six foot eight, you know. <laughs> And he was really just this skinny guy, and he had his hat on, and 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 he's there, and I just like he's got to be part of the show, and I just walked up and just started talking to him about which band he's in. And I'm in the Levelers, and I'd never heard of them. And then there was, and then I met Charlie Heather as well, yeah. You know, and I, and they were all just really nice guys to talk to, right? And they put on the most amazing show. But it was funny because I was like, so what do you play? He's like, I play fiddle. I'm like fiddle yeah it's not like fiddle you've ever heard before i'm like okay uh sure i like all right because like and i had grown I, i'd heard a lot of celtic punk fiddle yeah, whatever, yeah. but nothing like john seven man that guy's crazy up there but the levelers blew my mind that night and so in 97 they were playing in paris and i'm up there it was when i lived in paris i'm up there doing backflips off the stage in my kilt and (laughs) smacking into people and everything and um but uh yeah no they the levelers are amazing they actually just quick note: there's a swedish band called the sounds i don't know if you know them oh no not a swedish one no no they're called the sounds and maya was talking about how oh she's gonna love this she was in a pub in Prague in 97 and the levelers were there and they were getting drunk with the levelers and the guys in the levelers there were some some girls bothering them <laughs> the guy in the band yelled remove yourselves from us you fucking cunts and ran the girls out and she said those guys are so cool i want to be in a band so she actually started a band after having met the levelers oh wow yeah so, go, yeah. If you see the sounds out of Sweden, that's that's where they're
2: from. With the levelers oh. inspired them. So,
0: but no, no, tell me about I...
2: your tell me your movie about the levelers. I love those guys. Well, so, so Chumba Wamba played with the levelers in the uh mid 90s, early to mid 90s, quite a bit. Well, you
0: guys did a couple of festivals, right? What there's that one out at Exeter. What was that one called? Brighter Days.
2: Didn't you guys uh, play Brighter Days game. with them? Beautiful, beautiful days. days. Yeah, yeah. No, we 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 supported them at a time when the levels were absolutely huge in the UK, and uh, <coughs> it was around right about the time that we'd done uh, enough is enough, I think it was. So it must have been ninety three, ninety four, something like that. Um, anyway, we we did a couple of tu- we did a couple of tours with them, and it was uh, it was amazing. It was brilliant. It was, uh, um, and it and it really it really uh, helped us in our trajectory, really because we. Uh, we were playing to a lot of Levelers fans and there was a massive crossover. It was really good. But um, then when I moved to Brighton, um, which is where they live, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although there's not many of them here now, but the, yeah, there's still a few. Um, I started to, uh, I, I had an office in uh, the building that they own, the Metway. And uh, at the time I was making a film, I was making a documentary about Sham 69 going to China. And so I saw. I so sort of became friends with them again because I hadn't seen them for a while and then when I finished that film um I started working i started working for them, making promotional films and going on tour with them and then I made a documentary about them that was um largely uh Jeremy the bass player with the dreads telling the story of the of the levelers and um and that took that took a couple of years, and I really enjoyed that program that, making that film. And I used that film as a sort of a template for making the Chumba, the film that I then went on to make, you know, with Chumbawamba in a way. But um, they, I, they are a fantastic template or model of how to exist as an independent band and to keep going and to, um, you know, be able to exist as a... a, a uh, a working band you know and they they'll go on forever they'll never i'm sure they'll never stop because they're so they've been so smart about and it's the same people in the band you know from the beginning more or less so they All oh, right they're, they they you know,
0: have never had a single hit they've never had a radio hit but their album went platinum
2: yeah like they yeah, were they, yeah. yeah they're absolutely huge and that festival sells out every year you know they Right real, it is, does and they're doing yeah. a tour i think they're touring 'Cause I make a film for them every five years. Well, they're say. in Belgium right now. Yeah, they're touring the album, aren't they? They're in the they're touring the is it the thirtieth anniversary of Leveling the Land or
0: something? I think so, yeah. But yeah, I I just looked up a couple of the Euro, European shows got cancelled, but yeah, they're uh uh of the pandemic. But yeah, they're they don't come back to the States anymore, which is really too bad. No, I, I, think uh... had
2: a, I think they had a really hard time over there. I think there is well, there's, sorry, go on. There,
0: There's this festival, what, early August next year in uh, – oh, where the hell is it? I think it's in Belgium as well, and they're going to have, like – it's got all these great names on there, uh, Peter Hook and the Light, the Levelers, you know, everybody. And then Sunday night is one. – I'm like, okay, I'll go and see Altered Images Sunday morning and leave because I don't like that the lot. But they got the Stranglers. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the levelers peter hook in the light um the chameleons i mean they have a great lineup and then like the final show is like uh crap i don't want to go see that
1: yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the, the
0: final act but it's four days it starts on a thursday and goes for four days it's it's is it the w the the week i don't know anyway it's it's one that just came up my thing last
2: night that sounds like rebellion party. festival is that the one it is it sounds like rebellion yeah all the bands he mentioned yeah
0: yeah, but uh, well, there was one I was going to go to a couple years ago that was they had like Killing Joke and oh uh, that all kinds of great acts on there. New Model Army was going to be on there too, and there was going to be a lot. And then I, I I got hung up on another project that I couldn't get out there because it just would have overlapped. And then that pandemic shit happened, so right now everything's really up in the air, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, but uh, like, if we get a show that actually goes through here, we're we're rather, you know. Excited, elated, and can't believe that it's finally happened. You know, so. Um, but you said, but I'm in Utah, where a lot of people actually they believe that if you get the vaccine, then you have violated your oaths with God to be a moral person. Like, it, oh yeah, no, there's there's a lot of that shit here. There's a lot of just crazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what it's like where you're at, but it's there's there's some real religious out of yeah. control freak here but the morality playing three parts man look what we got here in utah <laughs> so,
1: <laughs>
0: I, seriously i i look at well i sometimes i i i listen to that and i think were they watching us and how we how the state of utah how the mormon paradigm is trying to push us back to that in a lot of ways so so anyway, um, no, let's see. Uh, the, the dream of dream tours that I would have loved to have seen was the one that you guys on the road with, uh, with Jake, the spirit, you know, the whole Reverend D Wayne, uh, right? Yeah. That yeah. would have been the tour of tours. Cause you guys are two of my all time favorite bands. Um, and I also love just the, you're so different in a lot of ways, but you're all the samples and all the crazy, but, uh, that would have been the best tour. That would have been the greatest tour to see. And I, I I know guys actually saw it. I was over in France when that tour came to the States. But all oh, right, it's okay. But Boff told me the story of uh, one of the shows, I think in Ohio, and you guys were playing, and it was right next to a uh, a, a costume store. Oh, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And then somewhere right in the middle of uh, Mao Tongue by Alabama 3 when they were all yeah. doing their – their anarchist salute, somebody hops across the stage in a bunny costume.
2: Yeah, Jude got on stage in a bunny costume. So was- <laughs> that on, on stage, and they had no idea who it was or anything. It was brilliant. They're, they're an amazing, they're another band who will just keep on going. They really, I mean, obviously it's incred- it was incredibly sad. Me and Harry went to Jake's wake uh, a couple of years ago. It's really, really sad because um, Jake was an incredible character and a, a, a brilliant writer. You know, he was amazing and a, a fantastic performer.
1: But they are um, doing.
2: They are they are really continuing. Is a... But they're they yeah they they're continuing and and they're another band who you know like have found a way to make it work and and keep going and keep relevant and are still saying stuff. I think it's amazing what they doing.
0: Well, shoot! If you guys could do a show with them, or you do a show, I—I I mean, that would be like, um, well, there was. I a mean, I'm Canadian... just
2: surprised that all Alabama Three is still alive. To be honest, the rest of them are still alive, because they, they, they made—they lifted us, it up. They made us look like uh, little school kids, you know the the way they, the way they. that—that well, that was well, what
0: they said. They said they got that check of five hundred pounds for the uh, woke up this morning they said yeah. what did we do did we go invested in developing the band and marketing no we went and partied like gods <laughs> but uh so i oh man I, I i i wish the best for all of you guys though it, like it's not a nostalgia thing for me because believe it or not like you were talking about a moment ago it is still current you've managed to attack these ideas put them out there and they are still current and the people are still going with them. You know, it's not just, gee, give up on complaining about the environment, everybody, you know, now it's really ramping up or the racism and stuff like that. Of course, I'll always play out the day the Nazi died for kicks because especially, I don't know if you heard about what happened yesterday. Um, uh, a bunch of uniformed white supremacists marched up on the Lincoln Memorial saying we're taking our country back
1: in no. the united states no, yeah true story that, Fuck.
0: yeah and yeah. it's like look you lost man go away jeez Fuck. no i didn't know about that Wow. yeah and so that's the, that's like where chumba Wumba. you get i mean you guys get played on my playlist i mean i'll just put you guys out there all the time anyway for people to you know that song but that one especially after yesterday i was like you know um uh there, there's a, a black man in america his name is daryl davis and he has this ability to go and make friends with the clan and he gets a lot of them to leave
2: All right, and, yeah yeah and he
0: he said that donald trump is the best thing that's happened to america in a long time because he showed us where we we're broken we we can now see all the cracks all right and after yesterday man i was i saw that and that just like Filled me full of anger, and it scared me to think. Well, how the hell did we get back to this? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. so Chumba yeah. got some airplay yesterday and today. You'll you'll get more yeah. today.
2: That's just so yeah. That's yeah. It's, I mean, it's a shame that that stuff never goes away. But um like, wouldn't it be great to never have to play that song again? Yeah, it would be brilliant. Yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, no, we have have hit the hour here, Dunstan. Thank you so much. So, uh, again, the film is called, what's it called?
2: I Get Knocked Down. And where can it be viewed? It cannot yet. (laughs) When can it be viewed? Uh, Next year in the U.S. um, We've entered various film festivals that we're hoping to get into. And we're looking for uh, distributors at the moment um so it's just all in that we're just caught in that sort of world between you know having finished the film and not being able to show it to the world yet which is a really frustrating uh time you know because we just want to get it out there well can i if, if if i have
0: any pull with a, a local film festival here or there i'll throw it in there for you if you want I'd... that would be brilliant yeah anything like that okay uh, hey i'll help you where i can anyway thank you Dunstan
2: Bruce from Chumbawamba. It's really lovely to talk to you, man. And good yeah, luck. Yeah,
0: you too. So everybody else, take care. Be good to each other, and let music do awesome in your lives.
1: Jumping with a car, what's the crack? What's the jump you should today?
0: Dunstan Bruce from Chumbawamba, thank you very much, Dunstan, for uh, tuning in, telling us about the film. Again, I Get Knocked Down is the new one, uh, but before you go see that, look it up on YouTube. Well done, now sod off. Special thanks to Barry Andrews of Shriekback for letting us use the theme and title of Sticky Jazz. Everybody else, have a wonderful closeout to this year. And let us just hope that next
1: year is just a little bit better.